Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Neo. Welcome into the Skeptic Arena. Today's article was written by Professor Jerry Coyne, entitled, Yet Another Failed Attempt to Argue for Free Will. He begins, Oi Gavalt, and this defense of free will appears in Harvard Magazine, the vehicle of my alma mater. Jerry, as an evolutionary biologist, I would think that you, of all people, would appreciate the importance of institutions like Harvard presenting ideas that you don't agree with. After all, it wasn't that many decades ago when Christians would have made the same statement you just made if they heard that you were giving a talk or presenting a paper on evolution. If you were referring to a pseudoscience like astrology or psychic phenomena, then I could understand your concern. But even then, the American way would not be to attempt to restrict their speech, but to challenge them with counter-arguments. Jerry wrote, in a short piece called Two Steps to Free Will, Craig Lambert presents the pro-free will views of Robert Doyle of the university's Department of Astronomy. Note that at the outset, Lambert states the problem as one of dualism, a view that many compatibilists claim nobody really holds. I disagree, of course, for it's the view of millions of religious folks. Jerry, why would anyone even care what ghost worshippers believe? They do not belong in a scientific discussion like this one. He continues by quoting Craig Lambert, quote, For five years, Doyle has worked on a problem he has pondered since college the ancient conundrum of free will versus determinism. Do humans choose their actions freely, exercising their own power of will, or do external and prior causes, even the will of God, determine our acts? End quote. Now Jerry writes, Now I haven't read Doyle's writings on this topic, but the two-stage model as presented in the article seems specious there aren't really even two stages. And now he continues quoting Lambert, quote, Doyle limes a two-stage model in which chance presents a variety of alternative possibilities to the human actor who selects one of these options and enacts it. Free will isn't one monolithic thing, Doyle says. It's a combination of the free element with selection. End quote. Jerry, how can you not see two stages? He couldn't have made it any clearer. He even stated it twice for Christ's sake. 
I just added Jesus in as a peace offering to any ghost worshipers who might be listening to this. Jerry continues, this is reminiscent of natural selection in which mutation presents a variety of genetic variation which is then winnowed by natural selection. But Doyle's model seems wrong in both its steps. Jerry, nice contradiction. Here's what you said just a moment ago. Quote, there aren't really even two stages, end quote. Yet suddenly, you now seem able to see both its steps. So I guess we're seeing some improvement here now that you admit that you can, in fact, see two stages. He wrote, the alternative possibilities are, in my mind, illusory. They are the possibilities that the actor thinks she has or that an outside observer thinks are available. In reality, there's only one real option, and even compatibilists believe that. Jerry, if there is only one, why do you call it an option? And in the Word document associated with this podcast, I provided him a link to the definition of the word option. So Jerry, in your view, there are no options. We are nothing more than biological robots dancing to the tune of, of, of what, Jerry? He writes, further, nobody thinks that the alternative possibilities arise by chance. The things that appear possible arise as a combination of one's genes and one's environments. Nobody, for example, would say that I even have the possibility of choosing to play the piano. Jerry, since many people would say that, I assume that you were referring to determinists. No determinist would say that I even have the possibility of choosing to play the piano. And if you don't even have the possibility of choosing to play the piano, how do you explain finding yourself seated in front of one, banging out a rendition of chopsticks? He wrote, what is more important is that we don't select a possibility. If by selection, Doyle means that we could just as easily have chosen another possibility. Jerry, and what is your evidence for that assertion? He writes, to the naive reader at least, this is pure dualism. That impression is reinforced by something Doyle says later in the piece. Quote, but Doyle identifies James as the first philosopher to clearly articulate such a model of free will. And in a 2010 paper published in the journal, William James Studies, and presented at a conference honoring James, he honors that seminal work by naming such a model, first chance, then choice, Jamesian free will. In 1870, James famously declared himself for free will. In a diary entry for April 30th, he wrote, I think that yesterday was a crisis in my life. I finished the first part of Renavier's second Esaias and see no reason why his definition of free will, the sustaining of a thought because I choose to when I might have other thoughts, need be the definition of an illusion. At any rate, I will assume for the present, until next year, that it is no illusion. My first act of free will shall be to believe in free will. 
end quote. Now Jerry continues. The key phrase here is when I might have other thoughts. For example, one can at a given moment make a free decision about which thought to entertain. We can't do that. For which thoughts we entertain are the products of our physical brains, which themselves come from our genes and the environmental influences that have molded our brains. Jerry, we agree that our thoughts are the products of our physical brains, which develop as a result of biochemistry and environmental influences. But you have ignored the possibility that evolution may have enabled our genes, neurons, and mind to develop emergent properties that might enable us to make a decision from among a group of possible choices. And I provided him a link to emergent properties and processes. He wrote, we are constrained to think the next thought we think. Jerry, constrained by whom or what? Determinism simply substitutes nature for God and then plays the same tune. Interestingly, what both have in common is that neither has ever produced any actual proof for their claims. He continues, further, having read the new sugar paper that has been widely touted in the press as giving neurophysiological evidence for free will, don't find that implication convincing. I'm willing to grant that the Harvard piece might present an incomplete compressed or even distorted portrait of Doyle's views, but I'm going on the article as written. I know most readers will disagree, but I still think that compatibilist attempts to resuscitate free will are rearguard actions. Jerry, what makes you think that the idea of free will needs resuscitation? Resuscitation would only be required if determinism had been accepted as valid and that the idea of free will was dismissed. That may be the case in the circles you run in, but it is far from settled in the field of neuroscience, with Sugar's paper being just one example of many. Jerry, you may be celebrating your touchdown at the five-yard line, and as numerous video replays have shown, that isn't always the smartest thing to do. He wrote, designed to make a virtue of the determinism that most scientifically minded people agree on. Jerry, an appeal to majority? Seriously? Even if true, which I doubt, most is not a consensus. A consensus will exist when the science is settled. And in any case, the debate won't be settled by a popular vote, but by evidence, something which this article of yours does not provide. And he concludes by writing, Victor Stinger in his book Quantum Gods makes some calculations implying that the action of quantum indeterminacy on brain function seems unlikely. Jerry, implying and seems unlikely aren't particularly strong endorsements. And what exactly do you think that quantum indeterminacy on brain function has to do with the idea of free will. And now we move to the science segment. Today's story, will Earth survive when the sun becomes a red giant? 
As the sun reaches the red giant stage in its stellar evolution, it will lose mass, causing the planets to spiral outward. So the question is, will the expanding sun overtake the planets which are spiraling outward, or will the Earth escape its grasp? According to researchers, when the sun becomes a red giant in 7.6 billion years, it will start to lose mass quickly. By the time it reaches its largest radius, 256 times its current size, it will have lost one-third of its current mass. The Sun will then enter a 130 million year helium burning phase, during which it will expand past the orbits of Mercury and Venus. Even though the Earth's orbit could expand to 50% larger than today's orbit, it won't get the chance. The expanding sun will engulf the Earth just before it reaches the peak of its red giant phase. Once inside the sun's atmosphere, the Earth will collide with particles of gas, its orbit will decay, and it will spiral inward. If the Earth were just a little further from the sun, at 106 million miles, it would be able to survive the expansion phase. However, future technologies could be used to speed up the Earth's spiraling outward from the Sun. But life on Earth will be gone long before any of that happens. Astronomers estimate that within one billion years, the Sun will evaporate away the Earth's oceans. It will eventually return to being a molten world. One interesting side benefit for the solar system even though the Earth will no longer be within the Sun's habitable zone, much of the solar system will be. The new habitable zone will stretch well into the Kuiper Belt. The formerly icy worlds will melt, and liquid water will be present beyond the orbit of Pluto. And now we move to the final segment of the show, Famous Quotes. Today, Corey Anthony Booker, born 1969, he is 46 years old. Booker is an American politician and has been the junior United States Senator from New Jersey since 2013. Booker attended Stanford University where he played college football and received a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and a Master of Arts in Sociology before earning a Rhodes Scholarship to attend the University of Oxford. Upon returning home, he received his Juris Doctor from the Yale Law School. Booker began his political career as a Newark City Councilor from 1998 to 2002. In 2002, he ran for mayor and lost, but in 2006, he won and served until 2013. In 2013, Booker became the first black U.S. Senator from New Jersey. And here's the quote from Cory Booker. Before you speak to me about your religion, first show it to me and how you treat other people. Before you tell me how much you love your God, show me in how much you love all his children. Before you preach to me of your passion for your faith, teach me about it through your compassion for your neighbors. In the end, I'm not as interested in what you have to tell or sell as in how you choose to live and give. Are you ready, Bruce? Start walking. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.